Welcome to Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We're two best friends entering the world of true crime. We'll be sharing the stories of some of the worst and wildest true crime cases in history. And we're taking you along for the ride. In this episode, we're looking at Jerry Brudos, the shoe fetish slayer. How are you? You've been off doing fun things, you living a life. I was just going to say I have to apologise, not to the listeners at home, because you can't see or smell me right now, but um, I haven't showered today. You don't smell bad. I can't smell you from here. Thanks. There's definitely baby sick on oh, my shoulder. Gross. I wiped it off, but, you know, it lingers. You know, that time Sylvie was sick on me, that kind of, I didn't smell that. I wore that T-shirt for like two days more. <laughs> That's because it was white. You could get away with it. Yeah, I wore yeah. a black T-shirt so you could tell. It's true. Yeah, no. We, we are... Cheesy. Gross, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, aren't we why, are we, why are we admitting this to, to a bunch of people that don't know us? I mean, what's your excuse? I have a four-month-old. I just really liked the top. It was new. Yeah, fair. And I was like, I wiped it. And then I was like, doesn't smell. So, Oh, no. If it doesn't smell and you can't see it, then it's not day. Oh, okay, fair. There's something special about what it is about new clothes where I don't know what it is, but you'll extend that. There'll be other things. If you've already washed it before, like something you're like, oh, fuck it, I'll just chuck it in the wash. We're like, oh, it's new. I don't want to wear it forever. <laughs> yeah. I'd do anything to delay that first wash. We're like, ah, it's fine. Yeah. I'll yeah. just rinse right off. It's yeah. fine. I'll just, oh, I'll just rinse that little bit there. It'll be fine. Yeah. No, it's going to sit. I'll turn it around the other way. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. Upside down. <laughs> yeah, I have been busy. Last two days... So I kind of, I've been living the alternative reality version of my life because like I went to a really fancy event yesterday in London and it's like those pinch me kind of moments that this isn't my, this isn't my life, but it isn't real life. Do you know what I mean? Because my everyday life is actually quite normal and somewhat mundane. Like I have the same routine day in, day out. And then I go to London and like have these crazy experiences, which some people do all the time. Whereas I'm like, hee hee, like, this is my life. This is my life, but it's not my life, you know? It's like, but it is your life. But it isn't, but it is, but it's weird. I just, I don't take it for granted. That's what I'm trying to kind who of say. Lives in a ha- who lives in a life like this? Uh, that was my Lord Graceman impression. That oh. was such a niche reference. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought you were trying to do um, Moira Rose again. No, oh, I wish. It just made me think of, what was it? Not through the keyhole. Was it through the keyhole? There was a show and... You looked through people's keyholes. That sounds but, oh, no, but it wasn't. A but bit I don't think suspect. you just. I don't think you just looked through the keyhole like Lloyd Grossman before he started making pasta sauce. He'd take you round people's houses and then be like, "Who lives in a house like this?" And the game show was to guess who lived in that house. Your brain is so vast in terms of what you remember and what you end. Uh, I have like, no idea why I remember bringing that. up things and referencing I'm stuff. So it's just sorry. Very big. It doesn't. It doesn't come in handy. There'll be a quiz, quiz question: Who lives in a house like this? And I'll be like, "Oh, what does that mean?" Yeah, <laughs> I can't recall it when I want to. <laughs> it just comes out. Yeah, but that's yeah, probably like, quite frustrating because I was like looking into your life through a keyhole. Anyway, yeah, cool. Like you so, were in that- London doing cool things, not pretending to be Lloyd Graceman. I don't have a lot going on in my life, Helen. Uh, I wish you would have come, but you couldn't come. I was allowed a plus one. had a really lovely lunch we stayed at a place called the sea containers which is um, a really big nice hotel with a nautical sort of theme on the river big big place lovely place lovely restaurant and i went to the bafta nominee bafta tv nominee party so the bafta i don't know when this is going live so it might have been already but the bafta award ceremony is in may and we went to a party for all the nominees and TV makers. And it was just a room filled of people that are on the TV and who make TV. And Ooh. and and I and I was just on the lookout. I was on the prowl for like a, a, a new Hot rising star. No, I was trying to find my next husband. Yeah. Producer. To yeah, to marry. Oh, a producer. I don't know. Oh, anyone that one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like uh, anyone in TV. And then I had a thought because there was another girl that was on the event thing that was also single. 
And I was like, look at all these gorgeous men. I was like, but you just don't know if they're single or not because you don't, I don't want to go up to someone and chat them up because I'm not that kind of girl. And then I had a thought, wouldn't it be great as, as like a, a natural human bodily function to give off pheromones that invited other single people and you knew that they were single because you could almost sniff them out. And I thought that's great in a situation where everyone seems nice. But then I did think, you know, when you go to a nightclub and someone tries to get your number and you go, sorry, I've got a boyfriend, but you actually oh, they don't. know you're lying. You know you're lying. <laughs> but like, obviously animals have give off pheromones and all this stuff Maybe to entice would, a yeah. date. And I was like, oh God, I wish that we kind of just knew. Because, okay... I'm getting deep now. It worked in a way that if you were actively wanting to find a mate, you would give off a pheromone. But if you weren't bothered, it wouldn't be as pungent. Yeah. Okay. And it would also also help weed out the dirty liars who are like, yeah, yeah, babe, I'm single. Just don't tell my wife. Exactly. Yeah. Wouldn't it be helpful? Oh, but then we'd smell different because we'd give off different pheromones and that would make me sad. Not that we smell the same now, but like we might do. What, me and you? Yeah. Oh, oh, daddy. <laughs> I want to smell like We you. don't smell alike. <laughs> anyway. You did give me one of your perfumes. I got one of your old perfumes once and then I wore it and it was really nice. And then I was like, oh, I smell like Helen and it was weird. Which one was it? Uh, I don't know. It um, came in like it was like a square. I hate it when people, thing. when you get a perfume and it makes you smell of someone and then you can't. Or like Not in you, a good way. Yeah, if, if you lend someone a coat or something, they, they give it you back and it smells like them. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll have to wash this now. I find that my mum's house doesn't smell like damp when you're in it, but when I come back from it, things smell like a weird damp smell. But I don't know why. Right. Well, Helen just said her mum smells. So mum mum, doesn't smell. Oh. Mum doesn't smell. No, no, no. Just the house Ooh. doesn't smell. But oh, but my spade down. Sorry, Sue. Sorry, Sue. I love you. No, and now the other thing that we wanted to talk about quickly was just on the single front. This is the theme of season so, three. Yeah, because I live for this. Like, I live, I live for this. I've been married for way too like, not way too long. I can't say that. <laughs> I've been married for way too long. Uh, I'll stay married for a lot longer, please. Danny likes to live. Well, she wants to live vicariously through me at the moment. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to date, but um, I do like hearing about it. Yeah, well, so I was saying London has a lot of people. And I didn't realise how many people were in London. The stark difference between Norwich and London, right? Because I had Bumble, I have Bumble, and I did have Bumble Premium, which basically shows all the people that like you in one like feed. So you can just look through and pick out people that look nice, which... Superficial. It is very superficial, but I had it. Fuck it. I've cancelled it because I was like, this is stupid. But to put into context, right, when I was in Norwich, there was about 50 likes on there. I went to London for one day. I had 550 likes. Yeah, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. But now we can't see any of them. No, they're all oh, disappeared. That's no fun. I know. But it's just it just puts into kind of like perspective how big London is in comparison to Norwich. And yeah. that was just me there for one day. And that's not even me being like, oh, I'm so fucking fit, man. Like, all these legs. That is just because there are so many fucking that's people because in there's London. so many desperate people out there just swiping on it. No, 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 no. <laughs> no they'd be very lucky to be able to date you, Helen, to Thank be honest. Thank you. Thank you. But I'm just playing a cool... There you go, listeners. If you want to date Helen Anderson, oh, get in touch. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's opening up a whole can of worms. Yeah, no. Potentially. I didn't mean it. That was, a, that was a joke. Anyway, shall we talk about something else? Yeah, okay. Right. Oh, yeah. The podcast. The story. <laughs> Were you just thinking about what else have I done? <laughs> That's not what people Helen's are monologue today. <laughs> That's not what people are here for. No, they're not. <laughs> So I'm just going to pre-warn, this one does contain sexual violence. Why do I get the sexual violence ones all the time? So I'm just putting a disclaimer out there that if that kind of stuff doesn't make you feel comfortable, then perhaps skip this bit, skip the actual podcast. Not Um, the whole podcast, just this episode. Just this bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, like you just listen to us chatting. So come back next week. Come back back next week. Yeah. 
So uh, let's set the scene. Ooh. Ah. So it's the 21st of April 1969 in Portland, Oregon. A young woman is walking around a multi-storey car park because she's forgot where she parked her car. Which we've is, all been there. We've all been there. Yeah. She gets a sense that someone is following her, to which she then gets a tap on the shoulder. She turns to a man pointing a pistol at her. And he says, if you don't scream, I won't shoot you. But her survival instinct kicks in and she screams and starts to fight the man. Yes. So he's a big guy, very broad. And he puts his arms around her neck, kind of holding almost like a chokehold, but, you know, like by his side sort of thing, you know, when they grab yeah. him and they put it down, right? And she is struggling for her life. And due to the twisting and turning, his thumb somehow ends up in her mouth. So even without thinking, she bites down and does not let go. Yes. Um, and she draws blood. And with the bite locked, like, like a pit bull, you know, and jaw is locked. He lowers her to the ground and starts to beat her head into the concrete oh, to release the jaw. Oh, no. Whilst doing so, though, a car... Starts to turn around the corner. He releases her and makes a run for it. The woman had managed to survive a serial killer on the loose that had zero remorse and viewed women as expendable. She had escaped the clutches of Jerry Brudos, the shoe fetish slayer. Fucking good on her. I cannot even imagine. Yeah. Bah. We'll go back to that later on in the story and we can chat about it more. But yeah. fuck yeah, 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 yeah. she... Very impressive. So let's go back to the beginning. So Jerome Brudos was born in Webster, South Dakota on the 1st of January, 1939. He had a difficult upbringing, being the second son and the parents favouring his elder brother, Larry. And Jerome was, or Jerry, was treated like the runt of the litter and was often beaten and given a particularly hard time by his mother. He just wasn't really wanted. Oh. Yeah. He also moved around quite a lot over the course of his childhood, so didn't really form any significant relationships with peers. And it also kind of meant that he lacked stability. So he didn't have many friends either. And he had no, he didn't really feel settled. Um, so he's still not got anyone sort of in his corner, no, really. Not really. Okay. He's kind of a loner. So now, Jerry's fetishes started. At a disturbingly young age, at just five years old, Jerry had stumbled across a pair of glitzy high heels in a junkyard and he took a very strong liking to these and he took them home. Okay. Appalled by this, his mother, who dressed quite conservatively, threw them onto the fire. So that moment, watching them burn in the flames, permanently changed him and you could say was quite a pivotal moment in young Jerry's life. So he just liked them because he liked the shoes. He liked like the he shoes. He wanted to wear them, maybe? Well, we don't know. He just took a real strong liking to him. He was fascinated by them. He thought that was really cool. Okay. And I think when he... Perhaps when they were thrown into the fire, because they were seen as bad... We always want what we can't have. So perhaps that kind of, oh, yeah, you know, that kind of turned into a bit more of a forbidden fruit, perhaps, okay. you know? Yeah, yeah. So his family then settled in the 1950s. Oh, say <laughs> so where, actually? Why did I not put that? They paused their time machine in the 1950s and settled down <laughs> nicely. <laughs> it was the 50s and they finally settled somewhere for good. That's what I meant. Okay. Okay. By this point, his fetish for shoes expanded to women's lingerie and underwear. As a teenager, he would steal shoes and he would take underwear off clothing lines in people's back gardens and he would play with them, he'd put them on, uh, which gave him comfort but also arousal. Oh, okay. Yeah. His curiosity only grew and the next thing that he wanted to do was photograph a naked girl. So he lured a 17-year-old girl into his car and threatened her with a knife so she would do as he wished. This then obviously gave him quite a lot of satisfaction because he now realised he could control women. 
Right. Mm-hmm. It's weird, isn't it? Because, like, why did he – I know, you, like, you've asked this question before, but, like, why threaten someone with a knife to get naked and take pictures instead of, like, the normal instinct would be to, okay, I want to take pictures of a naked girl. I need to befriend yeah. a girl yeah. and ask her nicely to take pictures of her. Maybe it's a impatience and desperation that he just needs to fulfil this – urge that he's having and he doesn't yeah. want to go the long way around and it he doesn't know how to form no well he's obviously positive relationships well, no, he's not really, not really experienced had. yeah yeah um, it's so weird isn't it yeah so he then next persuades another 17 year old girl to get into his car with the premise of giving her a lift he doesn't he takes her out somewhere remote and brutally beats her as she refuses to take off her clothes but luckily it wasn't as remote as he was hoping, as a couple over here and call the police. So in the spring of 1956, he didn't go to prison. Instead, Oregon State Hospital for Psychiatric Evaluation. So they concluded that he was experiencing an aberrant adolescence with an interest in sexual deviation, fetishism. And he was also diagnosed with schizophrenia. Right. Yeah. A lot going on there. There's a lot going on there, so... He couldn't be rehabilitated, so he spent his days at school and nights in the hospital. However, after nine months, he was released, even though he couldn't be rehabilitated. So he was just... So he can't be rehabilitated, but they know he's got sexual... And not... Uh, what have they put? Deviation. Yeah, sexual deviation. Is devi- Can a sexual deviation be positive? No. If you look up se- that- if you look up sexual deviation, it basically means like behaviors where individuals seek erotic gratification through means that are considered odd, different, or unacceptable. And examples are exhibitionism, voyeurism, paedophilia, sexual ma- masochism, sexual sadism, transvestic fetishism. I don't know if that's okay to say. This is just Google. Mostly like fetishism and sort of so. Not necessarily, so some, because like obviously some fetishes, as long as they're done in a safe, oh, sexual yes. way can be okay, but it's not, so it's, it doesn't mean like just violence. No, I guess really it has some negative connotations, but it's basically the unusual the, or the un, the taboo. I guess also in the 50s, this is in the 50s. Yeah, it? right. Yeah, so, so every, there was, everything is taboo, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so to be a sexual deviant now, like in these days, probably doesn't mean like you're necessarily a bad person you've just got quite extreme or quite non-mainstream ideas of sexual pleasure do you know what I mean mm-hmm. so but this was the 50s so yeah and they just let him go they just let him go okay so after he left school he did a short stint in the military but then he came a commercial electrician in 1963 at the age of 24 he worked at a local radio station in Corvallis Oregon where he met his 17-year-old Darcy, who became his wife and he had a child with. Their relationship was not the most pleasant. So I'd say under coercive control, Darcy was made to do the housework and the chores, only wearing either high-heeled shoes or lingerie. Impractical. Yeah, but also I don't think she really wanted to. No. Yeah. And um, in 1967, things did become a bit rocky because after their second child, she then started to refuse to dress up for him. I don't know whether because of this is when he decided to kind of take his interests outside of the house because we're about to enter the danger zone. So this is beginning of Jerry's violent ways. Well, well obviously he has already been a little bit violent, Annie, but this is yeah. where it sort of begins. It escalates. It escalates, right. yeah. So in 1967, Jerry stalks a woman and breaks into her house to steal her underwear. Unfortunately, she wakes up sees him so he attacks her and rapes her and then then he flees fast forward to she never came forward about that so she was never like identified like who it was right that's what happened because he obviously has said so fast forward to january 1969 19 year old linda slawson who was wearing high-heeled shoes who was a door-to-door encyclopedia sales lady knocks on the door of jerry brudos Now, let's bear in mind that Jerry has a wife and kids, okay, and they're at home. So he invites her into the house and he takes her down to the basement. 
Weird. Yeah. I mean, if you were Linda, you'd be like, mm, this is, I should not have agreed to come into this house. Yeah. So. And at he, that point, is it safer to just go along with what he wants? Yeah. I don't want to do this, but is it safer to just acquiesce mm-hmm. and not cause a ruckus or try and leave? Just turn around and go, oh, nope, yeah, not going no, down thank there. You. No, thank you, sir. Bye bye. But it's a bit late for her because he hits over the head, which knocks her out. He then strangles her, killing her then and there, all whilst his wife and kids are upstairs. God. He continues to undress and dress her and he plays with her body for hours. Hours pass and he realises he can't keep her body forever. So for a keepsake, he saws off her foot with the heel still attached and puts it in the freezer. (gasps) He then dumps her body in the Willamette River. My God. Yeah. Okay. His wife and kids are upstairs. I did look into why they didn't go in there or how he got away with all of this, all of the stuff. And obviously he's got a lot of control over his wife. So she was only, she wasn't allowed to go in the basement or the garage. And um, if she was going to go in, she had to intercom him. Right. And she would know better than to ask. Yeah, so she just wouldn't go in there, but she'd 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 intercom and be like, can I come in? And he'd say yes or no. So she just wouldn't go in there. So he could just get away with it. It's just fucked because they're just up there living their normal life and he's down there doing all this horrific stuff. So 10 months later, in November of 1968, 23-year-old Jane Whitney was driving to Oregon State University when her car breaks down who pulls up beside her to see if she needs any assistance. You guessed it. So Jerry offers to take her back to the house so he can get some tools and go back to fix the car. It's the 60s, man. It's just This is when the, all the hitchhiking and shit yeah. starts being a thing. Yeah, but also people... this is also before all the scary films came out, which educated us a lot exactly. about not to get in strangers' cars. Yeah. Right. So... We covered this uh, quite a few, I think it was more so in, in series two, we had a lot of hitchhikers and how yeah. it's, it's okay, like for some reason it just became socially acceptable to, to just get, get in, in strangers' car. cars. Yeah. And um, obviously now we'd never do that because shit like this, this happens. Happened. Yeah. So she gets in the car, obviously with the premise of just going to get some tools, going to go back fix the car, she can get on her way. But she gets in the car. Then he gets in the back of the car in the seat behind her and he ties a strap around her neck so hard and then shuts it in the car door so she can't move move, and it strangles her to death. (gasps) He then takes her back to his garage, has sex with her body, then leaves her body hanging in the garage for days regularly going back to change her clothes and defile her body oh my god like a doll yeah so oh that's so it's just so demeaning and awful like I mean and and it sounds really bad but like I'm glad she's dead because at least then she doesn't have to experience all of that happening she's had a a short horrific moment and nobody deserves to die like that but and certainly nobody deserves to be treated like that after death but just a small mercy that she's not I think aware. No, I know, I know. And also to think that a poor family. Uh, I have a real issue with, obviously, if she was alive, it would also be equally awful. But the fact that she's died and he's just violating her body, her dead body, yeah, that like should she- be at peace. Because when you think of death, you think of like being at peace and going on to the next place, wherever that might be, and the body is sort of there to either lay there to just do it, just yeah. be in peacefully. Because when you think of a dead body or people that are, you just you think of them being at peace. I keep saying yeah, that. Like but, but do you know what I mean? But She then, can't fight back. She can't no. defend herself. She can't do anything. No, and it's just being taken advantage of and he's doing what he wants of it and it just it just feels like a horrible it's it's a violation. It's, oh, it's awful. It's yeah. disgusting. He just has complete control, though, doesn't yeah. he? And he like, and that's what he gets off on. So, so he does this for days. God, yeah. and like she'll be starting to decompose. Yeah, surely. But he and he needs to dispose of the body. What the fuck? 
It gets worse the more you think yeah. about it. It gets so much worse the more you and, think about and it. And it does get worse because, no. because he needs to dispose of the body because he can't keep it in his garage. And you're right, it's probably going to start to decompose. So he removes her breasts before dumping her in the river. Why? These are his keepsakes. His, so, sou- his souvenirs, yes. But you can't even put a show on a breast. I know, but it's just still female anatomy that he obviously finds quite exciting no. and it's just something that he wants to keep. Do you think that actually, if he had lived in like a more modern society or a more like, or had been sort of more encouraged to understand human relationships mm. and because I think you need to be able to understand human relationships in order to like really develop a relationship with yourself as mm-hmm. well. Do you actually think that I'm a, I might just be jumping the gun here? Maybe he's trans and just fully doesn't understand it because he doesn't. What do you mean? Like, is he keeping so um, enamored with like female body parts and like? Oh, um, uh, we see what you're trying to say. Because actually, he's trying to relate to it mm. in, because he well because he wants to relate to it in a way that he can't uh, he can't understand because like nobody it was that was like an, an ultimate taboo back then I don't it? know I, I I'm under the I'm under the assumption that because he was denied being able to keep this pair of shoes when he was like five years old and that moment of seeing them burn in the fire which was like this is forbidden you can't have this and you I think that because you get that you get like a kick out of doing things that you know you shouldn't and I think that that then spot that developed into it expanded out from obviously then shoes to lingerie to then women's actual like bodies. And I think if he had been um, a child in today's society and his mum was like, oh, that's so cute. Like you've got a pair of shoes like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, you can keep those. And it was accepted. Perhaps maybe he would have gone down a different route because he wasn't trying to get trying to pursue something he knew he couldn't because that was thrilling. Interesting. Did you know what I mean? I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It just always comes back to this. I think, I think, okay, another way to kind of describe it, you know how some people have sex in public because they might get caught and that's exciting. Yeah. Like he's, he's touching these shoes in these shoes because he knows he shouldn't and it's exciting. And then that just gets worse. That kind of turns into more and more, more and more, you know, things. Yeah, there's, but that's it's not normal. That's no, it's not, not normal. normal. That's not like yeah. There's got to be something fueling that, like for it to escalate in that way. Yeah, I think it is that this is wrong. So I like it. So it's now March, nineteen sixty nine. That was November. So it's now March. So it's just in the new year, and he's ready again. Karen Sprinker, age nineteen, was in the car park of Oregon State University. Jerry approaches her with a pistol and he abducts her. This time, he keeps her detained in the family garage where he rapes her, all while still wearing her high heels. He makes her stand naked whilst he takes her picture. So after this horrible thing that's happened to you, he then makes you stand up and then suppose they're naked with your shoes on. And you can actually... um, So humiliating. Yeah, but you actually see this picture. Nope. On the internet. No. Yeah. Why? Yeah. It was very sad. She was expressionless and she, she just looked like the face of a woman that has just been defeated. She was just there. No Why is that face. on the internet? I don't know, but it was also in the documentary that I watched. Yeah. Like it was evident. So it's just there. I know, but I just almost feel like that's like replaying. Yeah, I know. It's not, I I did think, I did feel a bit icky when I saw it. Like I didn't go looking for it, but it was, it was on this documentary I was watching um, when I was getting some references and I just thought, oh, I didn't want to see that. Yeah. Because you could just, it was heartbreaking. So, but that was there. So if you see a picture, they blurred out her naked body. It was just the face that you could see and you just saw the face of a, yeah, a woman that had been, well, you know, violated. So so then it gets worse for her. After this, he attaches a rope to her neck and he starts to raise it off the floor. And as he does this, he asks her, is that okay? Does that hurt? As he's raising her off the ground. And apparently it is said that he got pleasure 
in the sound of her shoes struggling and hitting the floor as she slowly died. And he smiles when he talks about it. Fuck off, Jerry. Yeah. Not okay. He then violates her dead body. He then cuts off her breasts and he makes a mould out of them as one of his souvenirs. I just I can't get my head around. Like, are you cutting them off because you want, does he want to have breasts himself? Why are you keeping them? I just, I don't, I know, I know, I don't understand any of it, but like, I just, I'm really bothered. I'm really bothered by the, I'm bothered by the foot in the shoe. I'm bothered by the boobies. Where are they going? In the freezer? Yeah. Like, There's, oh. well, because he can't have the body. He can't keep the body. He just likes knowing he, they're there. He likes, there is souvenirs. Stop it. He's just very much got the attitude that women are expendable he just, and that they're he his. Does what, he does what he wants. Yeah. Now, his next victim wouldn't be his last, but it was the beginning of his downfall. Okay. Like, let's just say this is the beginning of the end. He's coming to the edge. Coming to the edge. We go back to Sharon Wood. So 21st of April, we go back to Sharon Wood, who is walking in the multi-story car park and she can't find her car. We know that she feels, she gets the feeling that someone's following her. And um, she turns around and Jerry's there and he's pointing the pistol at her. And he actually says to her, he says, ma'am, you too? As though he's eh? lost, as, as lost, as though as he's lost as well. Oh. Right? Ma'am, you too? And then she notices the gun and he... And, he sees that she notices the gun and he says, if you don't scream, I won't shoot you. And she fucking screams. She yeah. screams and she just like, they're now having a scrap. She is fighting for her life because she's like, no, not today. I don't want to die. I saw an interview of her. She was like, I just overcame this feeling of I've got my kids at home. I've got my husband at home and I don't want to die. I'm not dying today. So I'm going to do everything I can in my power. She just sort of said it was just this instinctual survival thing where she just had to fight for her life. That's so interesting and amazing and powerful. Yeah. Because I like to think in that kind of situation, I do the same thing. Yeah. But, and it is that fight or flight. It is definitely. In it. And I think, I like to think that I would just immediately be like a bear. And fight. "Ah, Yeah, yeah. I'm going to fucking fight you. And at least then people will know I died trying. Yeah. Or, or do you freeze in fear and get paralysis? That's it. It's that moment where you take too long to decide. Yeah. And because quite quite understandably, you know, your brain freezes. Yeah. You don't know what to do. If you run away, like I think I think I'd, I, I like to think I'd fight, but I, I'm concerned that I would freeze whilst I consider, I, I think whilst it, my anxious brain would mm. be like, huh, do I, if I fight him, then um, I might die. But if I run away, I'm going to be very easy to shoot. I think being your best friend that you would, de- you would fight and you would get away and then you would cry about it afterwards. Thanks. I, okay. <laughs> I can, I can live with that. Because, because let's go with, with traffic rage and you get ragey at people. And then after your rage, after it's happened, you then cry. Yeah, okay. Because you're I'll like, oh, that. that just happened. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't Not deal so- well with injustice. No, I know. Yeah. But I know that you can be quite a um, scary woman at times. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah, because you just can't ever predict until you're in that situation. And I hope, to, I just hope and pray that I'm never in that situation. No. Um, I was talking to Eloise, my manager, about you yesterday. I can't remember what we were talking about, but she said, oh, Danny seems like such a nice, like, a nice girl, blah, 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 blah. I went, oh, she is nice, but she is also terrifying at times. I don't think I, I'm not anymore. No, I you're used, not anymore. I used to be. Yeah. But Big old chip on my shoulder. Yeah. You, I mean, I reckon you could dust off those, yeah, I just dust it off that. if you need to, but I you don't s- want to, do you? I think, I think I've maybe have just honed my face in such a way that people don't even try to give me shit anymore. Yeah, you're a natural. <laughs> I just won't have it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not looking for it anymore either. No. Yeah. Anyway, he's got his arms around her. She bites down on his thumb. And apparently this is called fear paralysis. She, her jaw is locked. She can't open her mouth. She's like a bulldog. Literally, it's locked. And like Brilliant. when dogs fight, yeah. you can't separate them. They're just locked into each other. But that's what the fear paralysis did to her. So she's drawing blood and he decides to smash her head on the floor to try and get her to let go just as a car pulls around the corner. So he, he legs it 
and she is all woozy and disorientated and couldn't believe what happened. So she goes to the police afterwards and she gives them a description of him. She said he was quite a recognisable man. He's a big guy, he's got fair hair and he's freckly. And that's going to come... Interesting. I don't. I just imagine him to have dark hair no. and dark features. No, he's a big, beef, he's, dark, he's a big beefy guy. Man. He's very big and broad. But the fact that she went in and reported him to the police was going to be very useful. Okay. Because two days after that, he strikes again. 22-year-old Linda Sarley is out for the day shopping for a birthday present for her boyfriend. And she's going back to the car, arms full of shopping bags. When Jerry approaches her in the shopping centre car park, claiming to be a security guard, and he proceeds to accuse her of shoplifting. So he makes her get in the car and takes her back to his garage. She thinks she's being arrested. So I think what's very prevalent in so many of our cases is that the ability these people have to switch between a murderous and evil side and a normal family man, right? Because after he tied her up in the garage, he went into the house and had dinner with his wife and kids. And then he went back out to the garage to strangle and rape her. Oh, my God. And it's just, it's like, um, what's his face? Um, clown guy. John Wayne. John Wayne Gacy. Like, great neighbourhood guy. Everyone loved him. Murderous bastard as well. It's just crazy how these people can flip from yeah. two brain, like two mindsets. Yeah, like it just, because I think they manipulate it. It's manipulative, isn't it? He's mm-hmm. got very good at manipulating. And to, comp- to compartmentalise yeah. those two. I think that's it. Was I was reading something. It might not have been reading. I may have made this up. My brain is so addled. But like how it is a predator, like leopards, develop spots to camouflage them so that they can hide and sneak up on their prey and they're very light-footed and stuff. Right. Like a predator will adapt himself or adapt itself to best suit its prey. Yeah. So when violent men like this are preying on women, he is will become adaptable or like evolve into become charismatic or even though he's not naturally lending himself, like he hasn't learned to be like that yeah. from his parents or whatever. Yeah to become more successful so he's mm-hmm. does well at being a family man although mm-hmm. you know he's not a good husband or partner but no. he's done well in manipulating his wife to think that he is yeah being a good yeah that's um, right it like, is a form of camouflage yeah. isn't it yeah like really interesting to, way to, to be it. able to sort of lure in his his prey yeah. Um, and so he becomes the security guard he becomes the man who's lost his car he mm-hmm. becomes a pro well, as approachable as you can be while you're pointing a gun to somebody. Mm-hmm. You can't trust anything. No. It's terrifying. Never leaving the house. No. It's just... Sylvie's yeah. never leaving the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, after she had died, he started experimenting with her body. And it is said that he used electrical nodes on her ribs to try and somewhat bring her back to life a bit. Weird. But it obviously didn't work no. because she's not Frankenstein. Oh my god! Yeah, just sort of just played about. It's with like the body. a kid playing with play doh. Yeah, like you know, exploring and but like but sick. Yeah. He then also dumped her body into the river. Fuck's sake! This yeah. river, man. Yeah. So obviously, after she didn't make it that night to her boyfriend's birthday party, and then the next day for work, she didn't turn up. That is when her parents alerted the authorities. So two women have gone missing in the past year, all in the same place. You've got Sharon Wood that has reported the attack and now you've got another missing person case. So the police are quite concerned. This is all happening in the area. The concerns really started to take ahead because a local local fisherman then report a body in the river and it was... Karen Sprinker, the lady that had her photo taken naked. So they found her body in the river. But even though the tensions are high in, in the area in the, of Oregon, Jerry's still, he's still going about his ways. And so he's now decided that his new thing is going to be calling up 
dorm rooms at the local university no. asking for a random person's name. And when they go, oh, no one, no one here is under that name, he then continues to talk to them and basically try and ask girls out on dates. Just fuck through sake, calling Jerry, up. you yeah. absolute sick perv. Yeah. Like, fuck off, mate, with your lies and your shit. Yeah, I, I, I'm okay. This, uh, I'm getting mad now. Yeah, like uh, it works because one girl does agree to go on a date with no! Jeremy, right? But it's all right. It's okay. Because he's been charming. Yes, he's learned to be charming. Are you weirdo, Jerry? Yes, but but fear not. So they go on this date, and when they're in the car together, he says to her like something along that. He says to her like, "How did you know I wouldn't murder you?" And dump your body in the river. Let's bear in mind what's going on at the moment. Yeah. So alarm bells ring. And she's just a bit like, what a very niche reference. Yes. So what she does, she agrees to go on a second date with him. But she doesn't turn up. The police do. Oh my God, smart woman. Yeah. So they questioned him, but they had no reason to convict him. There was like no evidence. So they set him free but they decide to keep him under surveillance and they did take a photo of him. Right. So this is the key to his undoing. Ah. Because obviously the police then go to Sharon Wood's house, the woman that, you know, fought back. Yep. And they show her a book of mugshots. Hello. And she sees her attacker in the book. They got him. Yeah. So there's a 15-year-old girl he attacked, but there's not really any, any info on that. We just know he attacked a 15-year-old girl. Um, yeah. Um, she was also able to identify him from right. his picture. Oh, poor kid. And so on the 30th of May, 1969, detectives decide to arrest him. Uh, they just decided to arrest him. Yeah. Oh, okay, fine. We'll Let's go. go get him. Yeah, yeah. So they wanted to tie him not only to the crimes of the attack of Sharon Wood and the 15-year-old girl, but also for the murders of Linda Sarley and Karen Sprinker, whose bodies were found in the Long Tom River because they were both tied up with the same sort of knot and they were both attached to engine parts with body parts missing. Interesting. Yeah, so when he chucked them into the river, he, t- he had a special kind of way of tying them and he, yeah, he would attach bits of car to them. and they To weigh them down. Yeah, he basically said... He was hoping that, well, he chucked them in the river because he knew that the, A, they probably wouldn't be found and B, they're in water, so they're kind of... It washes away the evidence. Yeah, yeah. It. But they were found. They wanted to go arrest him, but he was nowhere to be found. <gasps> oh, no. no, where is he? They eventually found the car, his wife Darcy in the driver's seat, his kids in the car, and he was hiding under a sheet in the back. <laughs> No one here. <laughs> Fuck off. Like, what? Uh, that's so undignified. Jerry, you fucking coward. You're like, oh, if I just hide here, nobody will notice me. I'm just going to hide down under here. What was it that we did one where you hid in the attic or he, he took all his clothes off and hid in the attic? Do you remember that one? <laughs> yeah, but why? Who was that? I can't remember. But and also, why did he take his clothes off? I don't know. Yeah. Naked. Don't come up here. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm not are you decent. decent? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so his feeble attempt to hide himself obviously doesn't work. And uh, on the 3rd of June, 1969, after three days of questioning, he finally confessed, as he knows, basically, once they go back to his property, they're going to see everything. He's he just kept it all in his house, in his freezer. Exactly. Oh, my There's God. No point just, lying. But if I stay under a sheet, maybe they won't. Maybe I'll get away with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, t- to be fair, like, not to be fair, because it's fucking dickhead, but there is, there have been times in some of these stories where all it takes is that one policeman who's like, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, nothing to see here. I'm not going to look under this sheet. There's yeah, with Jeffrey Dahmer, wasn't it? Yeah. They, they, they didn't really notice the, the va- yeah, like, vat of oh, I don't body wanna, parts. I don't want to come in here because I might get gay on me. So Yes, yeah. yeah. So it's... Yeah. And it was the 60s after all. So they were a little less... Yeah. Yeah. 
but uh, mm. okay. Well, at least thank you, thank you, policeman, for looking, for under, looking the under the sheet. Yeah, there's a, there's a human shaped shape under this sheet, but maybe it's just apples. Yeah, bags of rice. Yeah. Anyway, so they go back to his home. Items were found: car keys, apartment keys, numerous photographs, the photo of Karen Springer in her high heels. Piles of ladies' underwear. And in the attic, they found 40 pairs of high-heeled shoes. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they actually found a photograph, which was taken using a mirror, of of a vagina, but his face was also in it. So it was like a vagina, a there was a mirror, and he was leaning over the top. I think, obviously, to make sure he was getting it in shot, but his face was in it. Weird. So it was like, well, you're busted, man. I know you've confessed, but... There's also the evidence. That's here, gross. So your face is here. So um Yeah, you can't even really try to lie your way out of that one, can no. you? But um it said that the photos allowed him to relive the experiences after he disposed of the bodies. So he's got his souvenirs and he's got his photos, his keepsakes, which he takes pride out of. Disgusting. Yeah. So in nineteen sixty nine he was arraigned for the murder of Jan Whitney, Karen Sprinker and Linda Sarley. Unfortunately, because there wasn't enough evidence to convict him of the first killing of Linda Slauson, the encyclopedia sales lady that went down into his basement, and her body was never found. He didn't get convicted of that one, of that death. No. Yeah, her body was never found, so couldn't be. Um, so at first, he pleads not guilty for insanity, but then he does shortly after change his plea to guilty. And in the on the twenty seventh of June, nineteen sixty nine, given three life sentences, um, he was the longest serving inmate at Oregon State Prison until he died in March two thousand and six at the age of sixty seven of liver failure. He's been interviewed like many times, and apparently, in these interviews, he has never showed any sign of remorse, and. Um, he was asked if he was released from prison, would he do it again? And he said, yeah, because he's very proud of himself and he views women as expendable. Disgusting. I was thinking about this, right? That's not a question that people like, it's not a question that's regularly asked. No. Because you just don't expect people to tell the truth. No. So like, Jerry, mate, I, you've been in prison for 40 years. Are you going to do it again? Yeah, probably. Like, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do it again. All right, cool. We won't let you out then. It's for the best, isn't it? Should that conversation happen more? I think it was well because this was a radio presenter asking, doing the interview up close of, oh, you know. So he was doing it for the like. He probably took a kick out of it, but yeah. you know, you are right. But it is interesting to ask someone because you think that after being in prison for so long, being able to sit with these things and think about things, and somewhat some people might be regretful and feel bad about what they've done but he's the kind of person that ne would never feel bad for his decisions because he really viewed women as trash and that he could do what he wanted with them and people like he well it's already been proved people have already said he cannot be re rehabilitated yeah and we knew like, that right from the decades start ago. So, yeah he was which just is, that's mad because yeah i was thinking about you know how this whole like um there's such an onus on women's safety to lie with women yeah. Rather than like if guys on a night out were just like, hey, mate, are you at a point where you might rape somebody? Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not. OK, cool. We'll carry on. Or, oh, yeah, actually, I'm probably I'm going to rape somebody. Right. Well, then let's get you home and uh, get you away from. Women. Yeah. Right. Like that never happens. No, no. Um, A, because I think everybody would just who's going to say yeah. Like, you but know, also, they're not going to say yeah, but maybe that like those kind of conversations should be more commonplace. But also, let's like, not forget oh, before about I let you around my child, are you actually a paedophile? Mm. No. no one's ever honest about that kind of stuff. Nobody though. would be honest, but like, no. you know, what if somebody actually would just be like, yes, I can't stop. Okay, I'm not going to let you near my child and I am going to call somebody. I think that's an interesting conversation though, because like, I think generally there's a problem with men and that whole when you see like when guys if a guy is being inappropriate towards the women I think maybe ch times are changing a bit but there's still that men don't call out other men yeah, yeah. like that guy who had you in a headlock at download 
Oh, yeah. Like, who I did try to fight. Yeah. But his friends. And I would do it again. But his Where friends, were his friends? Yeah. His friends had just let him go off being inappropriate. Yeah, but if they were there, would they have stepped in and said something? Probably not. I don't think so. You know, I mean, I can't make an assumption, but the amount of times where men either egg each other on or they don't say anything. And also, if they do say anything, they then get the piss taken out of them for being yeah. like, oh, I'm just yeah. messing around. And it's like, well, you're not, are you? Yeah. So there you go. If your friend checks in on you about whether your intentions are pure, mm. maybe it's check what you're putting out rather than... Check yourself before you check wreck your, yourself. Check yourself before you immediately go down blaming your friend. Yeah. But, yeah, so he is a horribly evil man. He was a horribly evil man. No remorse, no regrets. Absolutely loved every second of it. Disgusting. Disgusting man. But oh. that was that was Jerry Brudos, everyone. His poor children having to grow up knowing that that was their father and that that happened in their home and they didn't know. I hope they didn't God, know. you'd feel awful, wouldn't I you? I really hope they didn't know. I, I think that's probably, like, there's a lot to unpick, unpack I mean, like, there. you cannot not... It's all over the internet. Like, we're talking about it right now. You're Jerry Brudos' kids. You're going to know that that happened. Oh, what? Do you mean during... What, when it was happening? Yeah, like, when think, it was happening. No, I know. No, I know, I know. I know yeah. But, like, to then afterwards... Then find out. To know that that happened in your house and you didn't know. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine. There's just got to be so much. There's got to be so much. And, like, also... Like, if he was playing the family man, like, I know he had coercive control mm-hmm. over his wife, but his kids, like, that's their dad. Yeah. This realisation that this man that you might love and look up to is there's, a monster. Yeah. An absolute monster. Also, there's going to be a feeling of violation because if yeah. someone came into your home when you weren't there and did awful things in it, you would feel like your private, personal, safe space had been violated. And awful. to find out that the place that you grew up and you spent your childhood where you were nurtured and raised was actually sitting on a bed of it's murder. Got, it's got to make you ask some serious questions yeah. about everything. And I just awful. Every everything about this one, none of them have been rosy, have they? No. No. Um but yeah, this one is a lot. What a nasty man. Next time on Devils in the Dark with me, Helen Anderson. And me, Danny Howard. We'll be looking at Fritz Harmon, the Vampire of Hanover. Subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you never miss an episode of Devils in the Dark. And don't forget, you can find us on Instagram at Devils in the Dark. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please do check out the description for lots of helpful resources. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.